It all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, that one appeared no different than any other. If you could somehow pick it off the timeline and examine it, it would look exactly like the ones that have passed while I have read these words. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of the countless moments that have marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God had entered the world as a baby. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came, not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. A more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a group of shepherds. If it were not for them, there would have been no reception. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, but no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. Angels now watch as Mary changed God's diaper. The rags keeping him were warm were the robes of eternity. This baby had overlooked the universe. Mary looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. And somehow, Mary knows she is holding God. So this is he. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. It all happened in a moment, in one moment, a most remarkable moment. The word became flesh. Let's all stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I want us to reflect on this passage that Max Lucado did so well to unwrap and just to give us a neat perspective. But John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it'll be on the screen. But let's just soak in this amazing declaration here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of the men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. Verse 8. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. 
There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come this morning and soak in your word and hear these incredible declarations of the coming of the God-man, the incarnation that we begin to celebrate this week. And Lord, I just pray as we come each week, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come as teacher, as the one who guides, who enlightens, who brings revelation and to speak to us this morning, encourage us this morning, that we can be edified and lifted up and built up according to your word. Have your way among us this morning, what you desire to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Gateway. It's great to be able to have this opportunity this morning to encourage you and to celebrate the beginning of this time of Advent as we're going to do over the next few weeks, we're going to take a little break from Ephesians. Um, as most of you probably know, and obviously, Grady's not here. <laughs> He's coming back from vacation today. They had a wonderful time this week down in the Florida, uh, down in the Orlando area. So they're driving back this week. We can, I mean, tonight you can pray for them as they travel. But I'm just very excited to have the opportunity to encourage you this. And then, today's a celebration, as it should be every day in the relationship with our Lord. But what we're talking about today and over these next few weeks with what Advent means. And uh, Advent simply means arrival, a coming, so to come or to arrive. And what I love about John chapter 1 is just how it so perfectly reveals that, that in verse 9, the true light coming into the world. Verse 11, he came to his own, the word, the logos of God, came to his own, the incarnation, that God himself coming as a man. And then in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Just reading this is just an amazing, you could just soak in this. We could just sit here for hours to think that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, as I love what Max Lucado so vividly displayed, came to us. We get to celebrate his arrival and his coming. And we're going to look at that today in a very specific way, specifically the coming of hope. Anybody need hope today? Amen. I mean, the way things are going right now, just looking at our society and things over the past few weeks, and I know many of us are in times of struggle and pain and sorrow, and it was just timely that I'd be the one to teach on this. I needed this this week to be able to study and to reflect on, and as our former pastor Alan used to say, to reorient ourselves back to the person of Christ, back to who he is and the foundation of who he is, and just to get that perspective back and the simplicity of starting with the the beauty of hope. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God. But today we're going to focus on hope and actually did a beautiful job with the songs and just how it came out in each one. The hope we have, the hope we have. Hope means, start with the definition to give us some context. Hope is an expectation of obtaining a good desired to expect or anticipate with confidence 
and hope always connected with it, with this anticipation, with this expectation, it mainly has to do with anticipating a pleasure, a good, a joy, something coming that's a pleasure or that's of joy. The Greek word elpis um, for hope, that which one confides or puts trust in. And I love this other part of this definition. To which one flees for refuge. Say that again. To, to which one flees for refuge. So when we think of the word hope, we're thinking about an expectation, an anticipation that's connected with pleasure and joy. And one at times that we're looking ahead going, where can we flee to for refuge, security, stability, safety? That's what the word connotates. So very simply to lay some foundation, why does mankind, why do we need hope? Why does the word exist? It had to have a beginning, correct? Hope had to have a beginning. And it obviously started, why mankind needs hope was the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Sin and pride and iniquity and the deception of the enemy in Genesis 3 in the garden brought a separation from God, and which at the end of that, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So sin, iniquity, pride, all of that. Romans says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. For us to have hope, there had to be hopelessness. And it's amazing to think that hope didn't start with itself. The only reason we need hope is because we were what? Hopeless. Sin brought hopelessness. In the garden, it was perfect. Everything was right. Everything was good. And sin came in and messed it all up. And so we as mankind... And guys, we need these foundational reminders that the reason we're in here, the reason we even need hope is because at one time, all of us in our sin, in our depravity, in our wickedness, we're hopeless. Okay? So hope sprung from a state of hopelessness. And I love this. I just looked it up on my phone on the app, the Merriam-Webster app, because obviously teaching a lot. I love having it on there. And I love this. Obviously, hopelessness is the opposite of what? Hope, right? So if there's an expectation of good, hopelessness is what? No expectation of good. But this is amazing. In this definition, in the Merriam-Webster app, I couldn't believe this was there in a secular dictionary. Because what I usually pull from is the Webster 1812. I love the original No Webster 1812 dictionary. But I went quickly to this one. Listen to this. This is in the hopelessness definition. No expectation of good, comma, incapable of redemption. Did y'all hear that? Incapable of redemption. I mean, I'm like, this amazing spiritual truth is just right there in the middle of this Miriam dictionary. Incapable of redemption or improvement. And isn't that what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve got to that point after their sin, and God went, okay, time to initiate my hope plan, my redemption plan. Because hopelessness is we're incapable of redeeming ourselves. We're incapable of improving ourselves. It's lost. We're hopeless. There's no hope. And I I would love to submit that I think the first verse of hope, if we put it up there, Genesis 3.15, I've mentioned this one often. We we kind of call it the kingdom verse. Genesis 3.15, right after sin happened, and God's speaking to each one, and here's what he says to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Do you notice a few words in there? I will, right? I, he shall, and you shall. So what's that implying? Something in the future. This hasn't happened yet. So guys, I would just have to submit, this is the hope verse. 
This is where it began thousands of years ago in the garden after sin came in and Adam and Eve and sin. Where else is going to, where, how are we going to be redeemed? How are we going to come back into right relationship with God? That verse. So this is what God declared. Hope is coming. This is the hope initiative verse. And from this point on, for thousands of years, men and women over this millennia have declared hope is coming. Hope is coming. Redemption is coming. Hopelessness will be taken care of. Two of them that I love just simply is Isaiah chapter 9. These are very familiar prophetic passages. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He's coming. This child is coming. Isaiah chapter 53, tying into we need redemption because of our sin. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Guys, these were prophetic declarations 700 years before Jesus showed up. That hope is coming. Redemption's coming. Iniquity will be taken care of. A child is going to be born. The government's going to come. His kingdom's going to come. For hundreds of years before Christ. And then, the beauty of the New Testament, the beginning. Hope came. Matthew 1. An angel told Joseph in a dream, This child is of the Holy Spirit. And he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. An angel declared, a Savior is coming, the Redeemer is coming. Luke chapter 1, Gabriel declares to Mary, you will bear a son. You shall name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel declared, a king is coming, rule is coming. And we just heard that in Isaiah chapter 9. Luke chapter 2, angels declared to the shepherds, I have good news of great joy for all the people. Today there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels declaring the Messiah has come. Yahweh, God has come to us. I want to read to you the story of hope briefly. Many know it. I just love it. And it just had different meaning this time. Just looking at the expectation of hope. Can you just put yourself in the situation of the Israelites, hearing these for hundreds of years, thousands of years, being passed down generation to generation, being under Roman rule and living under this? And obviously, they had a different perspective, obviously, than we do about hope, because their hope was that someone would come, a revolutionary, this Messiah, their perspective was, is going to come and set them free from Roman rule. You guys recognize that, right? That's, that's what they were expecting. But God had a different plan. His plan that the Messiah was coming to set the world free from sin not just the Romans. But I love this one aspect of hope to just kind of stir something in us. Do we approach life this way when it comes to hope? Luke chapter 2, just want you to hear this, verse 21. When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him to his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Guys, we've read over this story so many times, you know, maybe during the Christmas time or whatever, but the significance of just this waiting for hope. Simeon had the same mindset of waiting for the advent, the coming of the Messiah. And I love the fact how it emphasizes that the Holy Spirit was upon him and the Holy Spirit led him to the temple at that moment to experience hope fulfilled for him at the revelation of seeing Jesus at that exact moment in time. Can you imagine him walking through the temple, the Holy Spirit nudging him and prompting him to go that day, and then of all things, this little couple's walking through with a baby, and in his heart and mind, the Holy Spirit goes, there he is. Hope has come. Can you imagine that moment? I get stirred up in me thinking, we get to experience that, we get to see and experience what Simeon did. That there's the babe, The Lord's salvation, your salvation has come. And what I love and why this is so significant for us, this declaration, what he's prophetically put out there. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And every Gentile said, amen, that's us. I mean, that's significant that he, a Jewish man in the temple, declared this baby was sent to be a light to the Gentiles to set them free. It's not just for those of the Jewish people. The glory of the the light to the nations, this baby was sent for that purpose. So looking at this, it just encouraged, stirred something to me. And just how do we approach hope? Are we looking for the second? And we get to experience, you guys, another advent. Jesus is coming back. And I know we know that reality. We sing that reality. But is that truly a reality in you? That you live your life and you live in hope with that expectation and that anticipation of pleasure and joy for the return of Jesus. And it just asks the question on the other end. With that in view, how do we approach hope on a daily basis? How do we approach life? Do we hope in security? Do we hope in comfort? Do we hope in wealth? Do we hope in family, other earthly relationships? I know in this state, many of us hope in what happened yesterday. Our entire hope and how we live life and how we live each day is based on what happens on a football field. And I'm guilty of that. God's worked on me in that area. So whether my team wins or my team loses or how the schedule goes or whether or not I'm raising a trophy, my hope is based on that. And I've talked to people. Their whole year is just thwarted. Just, they live in depression because their team lost. But there's other things that we put our hope in, as I just said. And we need to, again, reorient ourselves during this season and go, there is only one, one that we need to put our hope in. It's all about one person. And Ashley and us sang it this morning. So it'd be all these songs. It pointed to one person. First Timothy 1, 1, Christ Jesus, who is our hope. 
It didn't say Jesus Christ, a hope, or our hope, saying he is hope. That's a huge distinction there that we need to embrace and realize and live. Jesus is hope. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of my favorite passages is about hope, Hebrews chapter 6. Love this. Thank you, Brad. I can catch my breath. Hebrews chapter 6. This is, a, this is just awesome. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Did y'all hear that? I want to read it again. It's impossible for God to lie. I want to reiterate saying whatever's in here, it is true. We can bank on it. We can soak in it. We can rest in it. We can stand on it. We who have taken refuge, there's that word again, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I love this nautical imagery. Jesus is our anchor. I mean, what's the imagery trying to show us? An anchor holds what? A ship or a boat, secure, steadfast, while it's on the water. So the storms of life come. And as much as we have tried to get battered and torn or tossed around, we have the assurance and the security to know what? He holds us fast. We are anchored in him. Whatever happens in life, he is our hope. And not only the hope that's to come, What's the writer of Hebrews also talking about? That we can hope in what's coming. Eternal life. Salvation that is secure. Salvation that is the Holy Spirit, the pledge, the guarantee, promises for us. And with that comes an eternal life with Christ himself in an intimate way. How many need an anchor today? That you need to be reminded of that. Jesus is your anchor. doesn't matter what situation you're going through. Pain, struggles. There's been a lot in our body these past few weeks. Pain, loss, suffering, struggles, trials, relationship issues, all sorts of things. But Jesus is our anchor and our hope for us to remain secure and steadfast. And we need to be reminded of that. A good summary of this, I just found this. I want to show a little clip here from 1969 of our dear brother, Billy Graham. And it just, he just brings a little summary to this and kind of brings it all together. My hope is centered in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is going to come back someday and straighten the whole mess out. That's our hope in Christ. Yes, he's coming back. Next time, not as the little baby of Bethlehem, but as the mighty King of kings and Lord of lords. And he himself said, He's coming back to intervene in history to save the world from destroying itself because God loves the world. And he's going to come in judgment and he's going to rule. He'll be the ruler. The future ruler of the world is not capitalism or communism. It's Christ. He's the one that's going to rule. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And you know what the scripture says about it? 
says, comfort one another with these words. Now, we don't have much comfort today. The fact of Christ coming back should be of great comfort to every believer in the world. We've got a hope. We've got an eschatology. We've got a program. We've got a future. The future belongs to us. We're on the winning side. Let's comfort each other with those words. And you know, I've gotten in the habit of going to bed at night and thinking just before I go to bed, what if he should come tonight? I wake up in the morning, and in the morning, one of the first thoughts I have, I wonder if he's going to come today. Oh, I'd like to see him come. What a day that's going to be. All of our aches and pains are going to be behind us. All of our tears are going to be behind us. All of our problems are going to be solved. What a day that's going to be. And Jesus is going to rule. And the problems, the social problems that we're wrestling with and battling with now, trying to patch them up and solve them as best we can, they're all going to be totally solved. The race problem will be solved. The poverty problem will be solved. The war problem will be solved. There'll be no more wars. What a day that's going to be when we stand with him in eternity. Charles Spurgeon says this in one of his devotionals. Our hope in Christ for our future in heaven is the foundation and driving force behind our joy here. It inspires our hearts to think often of heaven, for all we could ever desire is promised there. Oh, what a joy. We are not banished to dwell in this wilderness forever, but will soon inherit the heavenly kingdom. Yet, once you hear this as a key, a little transition, yet may it never be said of us that we continually dream of the future while forgetting the present. Instead, may the future sanctify the present for the highest possible purposes. And what I love about that and what our brother said, I mean, thinking about that, that was the year I was born. So I'm now 49 years old. But just thinking about that, 1969, and, and what he expressed the same issues. I mean, hello. He mentioned race. He mentioned poverty. He mentioned war and situations of life that Jesus is going to return and take care of all of it. But what I love about what Spurgeon said here, which it ties into that, <clears throat> many of us that have been struggling with things, with loss and with struggles of life and relationships and what we see the world, our hope is looking to, for his return, what we're going to experience in the future. But what I love about this relationship and what we have our hope is not a future hope. Our hope is what we can experience today. That's the difference of what the old Jewish and We get to experience the reality of the lordship, the kingship, the intimacy of Jesus right now. Now, what's the hope that's coming is a fulfillment of it all, right? But what I love about this and what I'm, where it's all coming and getting to is that we need to experience the hope of Christ that everything that he is on a daily basis because everyone else in the world needs to see it and know it. We're not, I mean, I've known some people that have this escapism. They get saved, their life's getting rough. Like, man, I sure wish Jesus would hurry up and return so I can get out of here. Is that a biblical mindset? No. Because what's, who's at the focus of that mindset? That person. It's an escapism. I just want to get out. 
And they're not thinking about the millions and billions of people who are all destined to hell or going to hell that they could have a part in saving and participating with. These purposes that I love, the Spurgeon Infinite, it's a kingdom purpose. We need to be, the future should sanctify our present. Sanctify means to set apart for a sacred purpose. We need to have the understanding every day we live this life, sanctified, being set apart each day for a kingdom purpose. And John, John Piper had a, a wonderful devotional that many of you have already gotten over the past few years, and I love this, that ties into this. He said, the word Advent means coming. In this season of the year, we focus on the meaning of the coming of the Son of God in the world. And the spirit of our celebration should be the spirit in which he came. The spirit of that is coming up in Luke 19.10. It sums it all up. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You think the lost are hopeless? That's all that they live in. The lost live in hopelessness. The coming of Jesus was a search and save mission. So Advent is a season for thinking about the mission of God to seek and to save lost people from the wrath to come. God raised him from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. It's a season for cherishing and worshiping this characteristic of God. That he is a searching God. He's a saving God. God is on a mission. He's not a God who's aloof or passive or indecisive. He is never in the maintenance mode or coasting or drifting. He is a sending God, a pursuing God, a searching God. He brings hope. That's the meaning of Advent. In the book of Acts, we see the celebration of this Advent when God's heart's on the move to seek and to save the lost. It's a narration where Jesus is ongoing Advent into more and more peoples of the world. And that's where we come in, church. Acts is the story of how the early church understood the words, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's the story of how the vertical advent of God in the mission of Jesus bends out and becomes the horizontal advent of Jesus in the mission of the church. So Jesus came into the world at the first advent, and every advent since is a reminder of his continual advent into more and more lives. And that advent is our advent, where we are coming and moving into the lives of those around us and into the peoples of the world. We normally don't think about during this season, and that's what I love about it all comes back to the hope, the peace, the joy, the love, everything we're going to talk about, all comes back to the single purpose, guys, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And once we experience that hope, we are then called to participate in that mission. And during this season of Advent and Christmas, it should be even more so in the forefront for all of us on what we've been called to and how we are to participate in it. 1 Peter chapter 3. I love this. Peter is encouraging the church in the, in the area of Asia where it's a pagan society and there's persecution. And he's encouraging them on how to respond. How do you behave in this type of a culture? And he says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intim- intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Here's the key. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Look at that last part again. We need to always, you know what always means in the Greek? Always, like all is all. 24-7, guys, our lifestyle. Every time we have a breath, when we're awake 
and encountering the world and in life, we are always to be prepared to make a defense of hope. Because where else is the world going to see or experience hope? Is there any other source on this planet where what we know the true definition of hope is, are they going to find it? Nobody. There's no ideology. There's no philosophy. There's no religion. There's no person. There's only one. And that's the person of Christ. And what I was challenged with so, this, so much of this week again is our part in that. That once we experience the hope of Christ, the hope of who he is, his coming, salvation, life in him, we in turn need to be that conduit and to be one to take hope into the world. We always, always need to come back and revert back to the mission that we've been called to here on this earth. One of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And we all know, we've been made ministers of what? Reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. And you can insert the word hope in there. Every one of us in this room who professes faith in Christ, you are a minister and an ambassador of hope. We were just talking to our Sunday School Bible study the last few weeks. We're in 1 Peter. But where it says in Matthew 7, that narrow is the way that leads to what? Life. And broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction. Guys, we are the only ones that know the narrow way. The narrow way is the only way to hope. Because at the end of the narrow way is Jesus. It's a person. And you know what's amazing about the broad way? The wide way that leads to destruction, which the enemy has done his job over the millennia to draw billions of people down this course to destruction and hell. You can put Islam, Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, every ism you can think of. And you know who's at the center? Hope only has two routes. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be self. Right? At the center of all those isms is us. What do I have to do? to inherit eternal? What do I have to do to gain anything in return? All those isms at the center of all those religions is self. And so I want to encourage us. We need to be voices to counter that, to bring voice of hope, to say there's only one person that can provide hope in this land, in this world, with everything that we see, everything we're struggling with across the gamut of this earth and what the enemy has tried to do to bring hopelessness, which he's done a good job. I bet if every one of us out in this room, went to the mall, went all over the city, and polled 10 to 20 people, basically most, I bet a majority of them would say this life is hopeless. Again, you're going to get some believers in there, but guess who struggles with this sometimes even the most? Christians. We've all been around it, and sometimes it's been you or me. We know who hope is, but we still struggle with the day in and day out, just struggle of being feeling hopeless, that there's nothing that can be done. We say we trust him, that there's faith in him, but deep down as we struggle with some of this, like, Lord, are you going to show up? Is your word true? Can I really find hope in you? And the reality is, yes, he's there. He wants to provide that. I've just experienced over the past few weeks some very intimate relational things in my own life with some friends that I've known personally that are struggling, that I've, in the past month, through situations that I've been intimately involved in, I have seen more hopelessness than I have in my entire life in a few circumstances of life, where for the first time, I, phys- I, ser- I have wept for another individual who is hopeless and lost. I've never experienced that before, ever, in my, all my years of ministry and life. So that's why this is so prevalent to me right now, seeing and looking to the, into the eyes of individuals, weeping and crying out, feeling completely hopeless 
and that there's no way out of their situation. They're completely in bondage or, or wrapped up in sin or feel like there's no hope at the end of this. And saints, for us, everyone in here, every one of us in this room knows somebody right now, family member, co-worker, situations at the gym, social settings, whatever it is, people who are hopeless. And they're not going to find it or see it anywhere else possibly except through you and through me. We have to be reminded that we are the conduits of hope. We are the representatives of hope. Everything that Jesus is abides in us, the Holy Spirit filling us, empowering us, and the world needs to see it in and through us. We have to be aware of that every day, that your friends and family, those around you, may never experience the true reality of hope except possibly through you. That's a possibility because they're not going to find it in anywhere else, in any other religion, any other philosophy, or in themselves. And we need to be aware of that and reminded. And during this holiday season, I bring this up every time, in my Sunday school class or whatever, God has given us almost like a silver platter of evangelism opportunities right now. Over these next few weeks during this season and holiday, you are going to be served up, as we say, what, served up a big softball, you know? You're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Why? Because Jesus is getting a bunch of pub right now. On TV, through ads, it's in the name, Merry Christmas. I'm just saying, you have opportunities over the next few weeks to be hope, to show hope, to display hope, to talk about hope in the person of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with that? I mean, that's my challenge for me, too. There's some individuals right now, family members, that I'm making a list, and I'm going to try to go back to these individuals and say, we've got to have a talk. Now's the time. You're living in hopelessness, but I want to talk to you about hope, and it's a person. And it's who he's real, and he wants to experience life in you. He wants to change you. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you from death to life, from darkness to light. And say, guys, we're it. And I pray the Holy Spirit gives you those opportunities and will stir something in you over this season for you to have that reality. What better time, seriously, than now? During this season of Advent where it's so simple to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life and how amazing he is, and what we've been called to, people need to see and experience hope in you. And I promise you this, saints. Listen, guys, they're watching. You are being watched. And I will put this little caveat in there. If you're not being watched, why not? No, I'm serious. I mean, I've had... If you're not being watched and really being... Do they not know that you're a follower of Christ? Do they not know you profess to be a Christian? And if they don't, Why not? <laughs> There is ways you can say it or explain it or put something out there to say, I belong to someone. I'm a child of God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if those around you in your work circle or whatever don't know it, then, I'm, guys, I'm challenging you. They, you need to open your mouth, talk, share. You have to. How else are they going to know? Atheists are kind. Muslims are giving. You hear me? I've been around some amazing atheist friends of mine over the years, and they're, they're more giving and loving and kind than some Christians I know. They're not going to know until you open your mouth and profess Jesus as Lord. And that's what we're called to do. And by doing that, we're also declaring Jesus is hope. And you can talk to us about it, and we can see it. As the worship team comes up, we're going to close on a song that just is so fitting, and I'm so excited about that Ashley has brought it to us recently, and we've been singing it a few times. But the only reason we can get excited, as I am, to talk to folks and all, is because the hope we have, as it says in 1 Peter 1, 3, we are born again to a living hope. Amen? 
a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our God is alive. Every other ism I talked to you about, all their main folks are dead. They're now part of the ground or they're dissipated or whatever. Our God is alive. He's ruling and reigning on the throne. And we have that hope to talk about. So this song we're going to sing is The Living Hope. I just want us to, as we're singing it, to take in the words to declare the glory of God in this. One part it says, Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave no longer has a claim on me. What I love during this season is to think, the baby in the manger is the lion of Judah. Y'all think about that. That precious baby that Simeon held is the lion of Judah to come and to set us free. Before we sing, I want us all, if you stand, we're going to declare this verse together. I hope you're encouraged and get excited that what we've been called to during this Advent season, as ambassadors for hope, as vessels of hope, there's so many in your life, in all of our lives, that need to hear this message. If you'll put that up, Romans 15. I just want us to declare, this is my prayer for you, but this should be our prayer for all of us. And I want us to declare it aloud together. And maybe you can meditate on this this week, that this is what God has called us to in society, in our spheres of influence as Christ followers. Let's say it together. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's worship the living hope. How great the chasm that lay between us 